TCL is a proud sponsor of the 1500 ESPN Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone! Touch them all, Joe Maurer! And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. Now, our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. Welcome to a special episode of the Touch Em All podcast. I'm Derek Wetmore. My guest is Jake DePew. I say it's a special episode only because it's an episode. There's nothing that special about it, but I like saying it. Um, Jake, yesterday Joe Maurer retired, and uh, we'll definitely talk a lot about that. But uh, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, thanks, Eric. I appreciate you having me on, although I have to say... Uh hurt my feelings a little bit yeah. by saying it wasn't a special episode. <laughs> I know it. I know it. I, I, I realized that that was probably dismissive or overly dismissive, but now I can't go back and change time. I mean, we're live on a podcast, so what are we going to do? I, I guess we just have to push forward, and I'll just secretly resent you for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. Jake, we're going to try to have on a little more regularly here in Touch Em All land. Had him on last month. Check out that episode. That was only a couple of weeks ago, but... Um, yep. Pre all of the Mauer stuff, it was pre Rocco Baldelli taking over as manager of the Twins. So we've got a lot to talk about. Um, obviously, we're going to talk Mauer. We're going to talk about how it sets up a really interesting off season for the Twins. Um, there's probably some hot take uh, speculation steam coming in this episode, um, including one I got from a Facebook Live uh, question that I answered maybe a couple of weeks ago about Carlos Santana and the Phillies. So we'll try to get to all of that. I don't have any notes written down, so we'll just trust my memory. Um, and, uh, Jake, you know how that goes. So let me first turn it over to you and say, Joe Maurer, huh? He decided to call it a career after 15 years in the big leagues, went out um, in a Joe Mauerly classy way, and I thought it was a really excellent press conference. What would you take from it, Jake? Yeah, I thought it was a great press conference. I thought... You know, just like you said, it was very Maurer-esque in that he basically, um, you know, just sat there and thanked everybody in his life. He didn't talk about himself really at all or, or very little. And yeah. um, that's the, you know, that's the type of guy he is. He's he's classy and, and reserved. And um, I thought they did a great job with it. I I, uh, I thought Maurer did a good job. And, I, you know, Judd has talked a lot about this. And, and I, I have to agree with him that the, the last two press conferences he's given – uh, the one after the final, his final game, and then the one yesterday, um, we saw a different side to Maurer, and and I wish we had seen that side more throughout his career because I do think it would have made an impact just in terms of the way maybe some Twins fans see him. Um, but regardless, you know that's his decision how he wants to act with the media. And, uh, but I just I thought it was cool to see that side of of. Of Maurer, so now yeah. we got to get him on. Uh, now we got to get him on Twitter and uh, and get some Joe Maurer hot takes in uh, two hundred and eighty characters. Joe Maurer as a regular guest of the Touch Em All podcast would be something else, wouldn't it? That that would be something else. Yes, he went on. I'll give a quick plug to Corey Kosky, who does a podcast, and you you can find all about Corey's message on his website. But he he talks about you know youth sports, and he wants to get the word out that like hey the pro athlete life is not always glamorous necessarily. And there's a lot of work and stuff that goes into it. There's a story behind every player. And uh, he had Joe Maurer on an episode of that podcast. And it's the best I've ever heard Joe Maurer uh, in, in long form interview. Like Pat Royce was joking to me yesterday and I think he threw this on Twitter too. Sometimes he tries out jokes, Jake, and then they end up on Twitter. Sometimes it's the other way around. He'll check out the tweet feedback and then tell the joke to the room. Uh, in this case, he said uh, Joe Maurer's press conference went about 18 minutes if you include Jim Polad and Dave St. Peter, and maybe 16 of that was Maurer, 15 of that was Maurer. And Pat said that he cleared his previous high watermark by 15 minutes. So <laughs> that was pretty good. That was pretty good. <laughs> That's classic. It's, it's not, yeah, you're right. It's not quite true, though, because uh, Maurer's done some long form stuff. It's just not, he hadn't been always in the public eye. But the Corey Kosky podcast does do a pretty great sit down talking about his childhood, um, talking about, yeah, being like an elite baseball player in high school and the pressures of hometown kid, all that stuff. It was great. It was fantastic. But I can't, I can't for the life of me, Jake, seeing Joe doing that maybe twice a week for 45 minutes for the next, oh, six to 10 years. 
Yeah, I uh, I think that would that would be difficult, but uh, who knows? I mean, I who knows? I, I think I think everyone realizes how big a fan he is of Touch 'Em All and, and how avid a <laughs> listener he is, and so yeah. I've got to think he'll come on at least a couple of times here in the in the next few months. I like it. I like it. Um, so <laughs> let, I, let me just say, let me just say one quick thing about Mauer before we move on, which is that despite the fact that I perpetually look like I'm 14 and I've looked like I'm 14 since I was actually 14, mm-hmm. I'm actually about the same age as Maurer. And, uh, it, it, you know, it, it's just, it's interesting. It was interesting watching that and just thinking back, you know, 15 years is a long time. And the fact that he spent all of that time in, in one uniform and, and I've watched pretty much all 15 years. Um, it's, it's, it's a it's an amazing thing and it's a rarity in, in professional sports these days and um, you know everybody has their own sort of personal story of, of watching these athletes and I, I don't like to put them on a pedestal um, yeah. too much but it's just it, it it was interesting just kind of thinking back on where I was when he was a rookie and and where I am now and again everybody has sort of their own story but um, yeah, it was just, you know, he, he's been a big part of the Minnesota sports landscape and obviously the twins for a long time. And, um, it really is the end of an era. So yeah. that, that's me about as emotional as I'll ever get about, uh, about that's, sports. That's right. Your, your wife walks into the room and is like, Jake, why are you tearing up? Right. Exactly. I know exactly. you're tearing up. I'm just reminiscing about 15 years of uh, life well lived and, oh God, I need a minute. <laughs> Right, or at least semi well lived. Yeah, <laughs> well lived, anyways. Yeah, lived. lived. <laughs> I think like Joe Maurer is so fascinating because like he is a good player even still. Jake, I said on the radio yesterday, like I, Joe Maurer could be a serviceable player in 2008. He could keep playing, is what I'm saying. And oh, yeah. what I think he's done here with this decision effectively is. He's the guy now who wants to leave a year maybe too early than risk leaving a year too late. And in a lot of, like, the traditional sense, like the, the old sports cliche that you hear hot takes spewed on sports talk radio, like, you know, you've got to fight to every ounce, whatever. But, like, in Maurer's case, it's it's not about can I physically perform necessarily. It's It sounded an awful lot like he was scared of getting another concussion and the the life-altering ramifications that that would have so it's it's not like uh uh who are some football players that just traveled farther longer like randy moss going through oakland and then tennessee and back to minnesota it's like okay at a certain point you're sort of just you're you're clinging on to a pro career that's that's probably gone by and in mauer's case it's not about can i still hang because, I mean, he had a – it was like a – I want to say 315 weighted on base average last year. His 351 on base percentage was second, Jake, in the American League. And uh, I'm trying to think. He had like a 98 weighted runs created plus, which is on the 100 as average scale. So, like, he's kind of league average, which isn't great for first base. But my point is that he could still play, and he's chosen now, not in the traditional macho, sportsy way of saying – I'm just done. It was, I I think I could play, and the competitor in me wants to play, but also, oof, the the uncertainty behind door number two seemed to get at Maurer a little bit. Oh, absolutely, and I I think he made the right decision. I mean, I, I think judging by what he said in that press conference, the second concussion that he suffered in Anaheim, I believe, uh, really scared him, and and who could blame him for? You know, wanting to have a, a high quality of life moving forward, I, but I but I agree with you that I think that was the driving decision. I also think it's or the driving uh, influence in the decision. But I also think it's interesting when you look back at Maurer and Morneau, um, you know, who were supposed to sort of lead the Twins into this um, great kind of decade of excellence, and did to a large extent. But they both got taken down by concussions. Yeah. Um, and then you know, sort of the guy, the, the duo that came after them, Buxton and Sano so far have really been taken out by injuries to a large extent as well. And yeah. so there is, I think when you look at it um, over the last 15 years or so, quite a bit of bad luck. And you could even lump Jason Kubel into that mix who, you know, tore up his knee, um, mm-hmm. I believe in his rookie year, maybe right after his rookie played year. in the fall league, uh, right? Yeah. In the, in the AFL. Yeah, exactly. So there's been a lot of bad luck with the twins and, and some of their superstar players. And of course there's a lot of story left to be written for Buxton and Sano, but, um, 
you know, it's kind of an interesting lens through which to, to look at the, the past couple of decades with the Twins. Are you saying that we should get Royce Lewis and Alex Kirilov in bubble wrap immediately? I'm saying to prevent any further harm to the Twins fan base, we should probably just release those guys and yeah. go to another organization. <laughs> yeah, I hope for greener pastures, guys. Good luck. Happy travels. Exactly. Or what is it? Happy trails? I screwed that one up. Happy trails, yes. So I think that there is this... Um, we could spend all day talking about Joe Maurer. I spent an hour on the radio yesterday talking about it. We easily could just bring in the stable of guests and... Oh, tell me your favorite Joe Maurer memory, which I'll ask you here quickly. But, like, I also want to advance this conversation on to what this means for the Twins, not in the sentimental sense, not in the how quickly can you cast a bronze statue and get it erected outside Target Field sense, but in the that's $23 million off the book. You got a lot of play, uh, a lot of rope to play with this winter, and, and it's going to be a big winter for them. So I do want to get into that, but I do have to ask you, Jake, as long as we're talking about Joe Maurer calling it a career, um, tipping his cap to everybody yesterday, does there is there a moment for you that maybe not defines Maurer because he's so complex, but that stood out to you as uh, something that came rushing back yesterday as he was announcing his retirement from the Twins? Yeah, so that's that's the interesting thing about Maurer is with most of these, you know, Hall of Fame players, there's a signature playoff moment there's that a I moment, think everybody yeah. remembers, and he just doesn't have that, um, mm-hmm. and and that's not really entirely his fault, obviously, but but he just doesn't have it. It's Phil um, Cousy's so, fault, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> um, I, I think the the moment that I go back to with Maurer is maybe a little bit of a random one, but it's it's the play he made in New York. In 2009, as a catcher, um, when he ran down Brett Gardner at the plate, when they <laughs> yeah. both sort of dove, uh, and that that would have been the winning run. That was there was two outs in the bottom of the ninth when he made that play, and I remember watching that live. Um, and for for listeners, it's he, it's hard to to sort of explain, but basically there was sort of a, a swinging bunt. Mauer fielded it, realized he wasn't going to be able to make the play at first, and Brett Gardner came, you know, racing around third, um, trying to score the winning run, and, and Mauer sort of pump faked the first stop. Uh, sprinted back towards home, dove, and, and tagged Gardner out. And it was just this amazing play and, and, and unbelievable athleticism. And, and I watched it live, and, and that was about as jaw-dropping of a moment um, in terms of watching baseball that I'd ever seen live. And it was you know during his MVP season, and it um, just sort of reaffirmed not just what a great offensive player he was, but what a great defensive catcher he was. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah, I, I, I've watched the replay of that a number of times, and it just, it blows me away every time. So I think that, and then the final day of the 2006 season when he won the sure. batting title and the, and the Twins overtook uh, Detroit to win the division, and that team felt like, and still to me, that was the best Twins team that I've you know, been cognizant yes. about, right? I mean, I was alive in 91, but I didn't really care. And um, that, 2006 that was probably amazing. a better team. Oh, I, I totally agree. I, that If Liriano hadn't gotten hurt, I think that team has a very good chance to win the World Series, but that last day when he won the batting title and they overtook Detroit, that was a, a pretty cool day as well. So yeah. I think those two moments stick out to me. Yeah. What about you? I think that the pump fake on Gardner is great because it reminds me of, actually, maybe this is a bit of foreshadowing, Buck Showalter was talking about Manny Machado one time in 2013 when I was covering the Orioles. And he said something, and I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I'll, I'll just paraphrase it in my own way, that you'll see You'll see plays, Jake, where you're like, "Oh, that uh, that shortstop made a nice play to his left. Uh, he came over second base. He spun and throw. That's a difficult balance, and to get the accuracy and the arm strength to make that play, to say nothing of the range, like good baseball play. But then there are these plays that aren't so common at all that you see them, and you're like, "What is that legal?" And he was talking about Manny Machado in the sense that he had just screwed up a double play where he was trying to get too cute for something. I think he went to, maybe it's, I'll just make one up. Maybe it was bases loaded and he tried to go touch third, throw to first rather than come home and get the one out for sure. Something like that. And Buck said, I'm not mad at him. He he made a judgment call. Every Almost every third baseman would have come home with that ball. But I love that Manny had the creative instinct to try to make something special happen on the baseball field. And I remember thinking, wow, that's, wow, that's a really eloquent way of putting 
uh, an error <laughs> or, a, or a mistake. But he, his point was still it stood tall at not many not many um, third basemen would make a risky play like that. They would just take the safe out. They would take the baseball play, the play that you've been making since fifth grade in Little League, where you're like, yep, this is what you do in this situation. Balls hit right at me. Try to charge it in a half step, field it, throw home, live to see another batter. And Manny played it back a half step or something like that, you know. And, and Maurer is like that, that Brett Gardner where he fields the bunt. Was it down even the I, – I don't remember where the bunt went, but the pump fake made Gardner choose to right. break for home. And then Maurer, right. not having lost his bearings on the situation, then chased him down. I, I thought that was a spectacular read and athleticism and sort of this baseball savant nature that we didn't really get to see a lot from Maurer. Let's be honest. I mean, as a catcher and then later as a first baseman, there's not really – that much opportunity. Um, but yeah. for me, the moment moment was homering in his first at bat in 2009, the MVP season. Um, mm. I was an impressionable youth. And I remember one of my friends who's not really a big twins fan, not really even that much of a baseball fan, but, but I remember he hits that home run and he's having a great season. And in my head, they're linked. They were probably months apart, but memories of funny faculty. And he he said, you know, Joe Maurer is a damn superhero. And I remember like thinking, wow, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's kind of that was Joe Maurer at the peak of Joe Maurer's, I would say, popularity uh, as a as a. Twins fan base was rallying around a very good team, and Maurer was emerging as sort of the center of that. That was to me the sort of the moment that that led to the moment, right? The the home run was like, wow, okay, maybe something special is going on here. Yeah, and I have to say, Bremer, I still remember Bremer's call on that home run, and you know, a lot of people have a lot of opinions on on Bremer, and I certainly do as well. Uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna give him props here. Um, he just said, welcome back, yeah. after the ball went into the stands. I thought that was the perfect call yeah. for that home run because he had missed the first month of the season. That's right. Um, right, yeah. So I, that was a great moment as well, absolutely. And you're right, it totally set the stage for that, that 2009 MVP season. Yeah, so a lot of, lot of memories, a lot of moments. There will be plenty more to talk on Joe Maurer. I, I'm shocked, and we'll get into free agents here, just a, a quick aside. Like, I'm shocked Joe Maurer's not going to go away. Jake, I thought yeah. Joe Maurer was going to be like, all right, Love this game, but I love my family and my brain as much or more, and I got to do what I got to do and, like, build a log cabin in Alexandria and hang out with Brock Lesnar and nobody else. <laughs> right. Well, I, 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 I hope for the twin's sake that he does stay around because I think he has an unbelievable amount of knowledge. And, he, you know, he may, may be a little too mild-mannered to be, well, I don't know. Maybe he could be a good manager someday. Who knows? But I, but hopefully he'll be around the Twins in some capacity moving forward, maybe as a spring training instructor or something sure. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I'm just surprised that we're going to see him again, and that's great for Twins fans um, and for the Twins as a as a club. Yeah, I, I don't see him being a manager, Jake. I just think there's too much of a yeah. grind, and when you're sitting on tens of millions, you maybe don't need to grind. Um, right. But he's, I mean, he's not defined by the paycheck, so it's possible he'd want to do something on a, on a coaching staff role or maybe work with the front office or honestly, even if it's just as that sort of ambassador role at Tony Oliva, Kent Herbeck, guys that are just sort of around the team and still a, a reminder of twins history. I think that would be a, a pretty good spot for Mauer to land too. Absolutely. Yep. So let's set up the off season ahead because uh, 23 million is coming off the books and not that they were going to pay him that in 2019, but it's, it's a big number and now they have a definite hole to fill at first base, depending on what you think about Tyler Austin. Uh, maybe even Mitch Garver plays some first base, or Max Kepler plays some first base. I I just see a big hole there in terms of playing time and opportunities. Let me ask you this, Jake. In terms of off-season needs, now that we know first base is a need, uh, where does that rate in your book for what the Twins need to go pursue? Well, I guess it all depends on what you think about Miguel Sano and whether you think he can stick at third base. Um, because if he can't, then I think the logical move is to is to move him over to first, obviously. Uh, and I have serious questions about his ability to stick at third base because he's 0 for 4 in terms of big league seasons and being able to stick at third base without getting hurt. Um, so, I, I don't know. I... I, I 
it's hard for me at this point to see Miguel Sano playing 150 games at third base or yeah. even 90 games at third base. Um, and hopefully I'm wrong about that, but, but I look at his track record and, and that's what it suggests. So um, if the Twins move Sano over to first base, if that ends up happening, and I don't think it will happen on opening day, but, um, but who knows, uh, then, then they need to add a third baseman, which is a, an entirely different uh, proposition, I guess. But um, infielders, I guess I would say. Infielders <laughs> is a big need. And whether you want to define that as first base, third base, second base, or shortstop, um, there are a lot of, they have a lot of needs there. Baseball uh, so players for, would be on their short list of players. needs. Baseball players is something they're going to have to add. Yeah, and the way I look at it is it's in the same way that the, that the NBA is sort of becoming positionless in a lot of ways, yeah. right? Like there aren't those defined roles of shooting guard, small forward, power forward, the way that there used to be. That's kind of how I look at the Twins right now, that they're just looking to add quality infielders and, and guys that can maybe play around the diamond um, a little bit because I don't think Jorge Polanco is – to me, he's better suited at second base than, than shortstop. Sure. Um, Although he can he can certainly play some short, so yeah, I think I think like you said, they're looking to add quality baseball players around the diamond, and and you know whether that's Carlos Santana, which I know is a guy you want to talk about, uh, whether it's somebody like DJ LeMahieu, um, boy, there there are a number of guys. Manny uh, Machado Daniel plays Murphy. infield. What's that? Manny Machado plays in the infield. Well, so let's talk about Manny Machado. I know he's your guy, um, and I say that <laughs> somewhat sarcastically. Yeah, hashtag uh, my guy, apparently. Yes. <laughs> do, do you do you think the Twins should make a, a serious run at, at Machado and throw, what, $300 million at him or whatever it's going to be? Yes, I think they should. I think that the Twins should be in the Manny Machado sweepstakes, and I think that they should be one of the final teams in it, frankly. If, if it so happens that it's just going to be New York or – you know, whatever. Then, then it's fine. Like, if if Philly's going to make a run at him, I, I'm cool losing the Manny Machado sweepstakes because I've said on previous podcasts too. There's a bit of a winner's curse going on there in my mind. Like, I think Manny Machado is a great, excellent young player. I also think Manny Machado comes with this extra stuff that you don't like. He's probably a yeah. bad leader based on what we've seen on the field in October. The fact that you're not going to run out ground balls in October, I think either says you're injured and no one knows, which is possible, or you are not fit to lead. And that, to me, would be problematic. So I want to get to the bottom of the health thing. If he's healthy, then my question is, like, if you don't care in October, do you ever care? And what kind of tone does that set for players who are not as good as you if if the best player does not have to do some of these just requisite things that Jake Cave will do? I think that that would be scary for me if I was the Twins investing 10 years and 300 plus million dollars. Um, I've also been on the record as saying, like, I don't think he's that good at shortstop. I think he's all right. I think he's a better third baseman than he is a shortstop. So anyways, I don't know. I Not to get off on my soapbox and start ranting again, but if you think Sano's a first baseman, Manny Machado makes sense as a third baseman. I s- still think you could upgrade shortstop from Jorge Polanco, and Manny Machado is better than Jorge Polanco, but um, yeah, if you're asking me to aim at the very top of the free agency class, I'm setting my sights on Bryce Harper before I talk about Manny Machado. Okay, and and so why? So I, I realize I'm just basically conducting an interview of, of you at this point. <laughs> hey, what what is it about Harper other than he obviously has a drive to win that that maybe can be questioned somewhat in Machado? What is it about just his? on-field production sure. that would make you more willing to throw $300 million at him than, than Machado, who obviously plays a much higher priority defensive position. Yeah, I think Harper's the better offensive player. I, I think that as a corner outfielder for the next 10 years, he'll be fine, and he's not going to like shipwreck your team. Uh, I, not that Machado would shipwreck you if he was playing third base, but like I said, I think he's a little overrated as a shortstop, so... Positional value still matters more at shortstop, center field, catcher. But if you start taking away points in three years or whatever, when his range that I'm already questioning starts to deteriorate a little bit more, I just get more skeptical about that long-term investment. With Bryce Harper, you know what you're betting on. You're betting on the bat. You're betting on the fact that he draws walks and hits bombs from the left side. I think that that will play. It'll continue to carry. Yeah, I know he had some struggles this year, but we could look at Manny Machado's track record too and say not exactly spotless from an offensive performance standpoint. 
and I just feel more confident in my bet if I'm betting on Bryce Harper, knowing, like, yeah, the certainty of the floor to me is a, is higher, and that would be something that I'd consider with such a mega contract like that. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. I I, I think the thing with Machado and Harper <clears throat> and these just really high profile guys is that. Justifiably or not, I, I don't think Minnesota is seen as a, a destination team and, and Minneapolis is a destination city. And, and I don't agree with that. I'm from Minnesota. I love Minnesota. Um, and, and I'm constantly defending Minnesota to, to everybody out here. You know, for those of listeners who don't know, I live in Boston. Uh, but I can just, you know, just, just based on, on living here for the last five years and when I lived in California, I mean, the, the perception I think among people who don't, live there have never really been there or haven't been there much. It's just that it's this flyover, really cold place. There's nothing to do. And I, I don't know if that impacts free agents, but, but I, think, I think, if anything, the cold weather would, would impact free agents a little bit. And so I, that might mean that the Twins need to pay another $20 million for these guys, uh, and it's difficult to see them outbidding the Yankees or the Phillies or, or big, big market teams um, for these guys if they, if they need to overpay um, you know, even more than yeah. they already would. Maybe but, you disagree with that. Yeah, but, I push back on the like the flyover country thing because that's what I get a lot on Facebook and on the rare occasions I check Twitter every single day, pretty much every hour of every single day. But I would say that like that's a very common narrative that's out there right now, and I haven't heard that from Bryce himself. I haven't heard that from Manny himself. But more than the New Yorkers or Boston people or uh, Philadelphians or or even Chicago because, hey, you're Midwest too. I think more than those people saying Minnesota's flyover country, I see Minnesotans saying Minnesota's flyover country. And, like, that type of insecurity just doesn't jive with me. If I'm a front office and I'm going to Bryce Harper with a competitive offer, I'm not apologizing for the fact that it's maybe cold in April. You're going to play games on the schedule. And, by the way... Have you seen Target Field in June, in July, in August? I would use that as a selling point. Minneapolis is a great city to play baseball. And then go build your villa in you know, Aruba in November. That's fine. Uh, this $300 million will afford you to do that. But I, I, I'm just not going into that meeting as a, if I'm Thad Levine and Derek Falvey, apologizing for the fact that it's Minnesota. They Neither of those guys necessarily view it as flyover country. I, I think if the Twins were to make a competitive bid and to be legitimately in the running with the resources that they have available this winter, I think they absolutely should be in the same conversation as the Phillies, Yankees, Dodgers, and on and on down that list. Yeah, well, and if I'm Levine and Salvi, I'm going in instantly apologizing profusely uh, <laughs> for for Minnesota and and just saying, look, I can't believe you're even talking to us, given the team that we run. Uh, but thank you for your time and best of luck on the East or West Coast. That's right. That, that's the way I approach it. Well, um, you're going to Scott so, Boris at that point. You're probably not talking to Bryce himself. <laughs> hey, hey, Scott, listen, we think it's cold too. Right. No, but but in all seriousness, I, I do agree with you, and, and there are a lot of selling points. Target Field is definitely one, but I, I think the, the fact that, the, and maybe this is a conversation for a later podcast, but the Twins have a very legitimate shot at winning the Central and, and being a contender over the next five years. Um, I would view them, depending on what Cleveland does, and it looks like Cleveland might be in a sell-off. Woof. They might be the favorites going into 2019. Um, and, and, you know, I think the national perception is maybe not that. Uh, but, but boy, uh, to me, they're going to be a highly competitive team for the next five years. And, and if they don't make the playoffs at least a couple of times in that run, it would be extremely disappointing. And, and um a pretty drastic underperformance. So yeah. I think that's a big selling point for these guys is look, we have the as you as you like to say, the bones of a good baseball team yeah. are in place and and you know, if we add you, you you could put us over the top and you could be consistently playing in October. And it certainly matters to Harper. I hope it matters to Machado as well. But but I do think that's a selling point. I think uh, yeah, well. I love that uh, we are even spending 15 minutes talking about Bryce Harper and Manny Machado because I guess my point was like 
This should be a conversation. This is fun. This is baseball. It's off-season speculation season. Last yep. year, I did not apologize for writing 600 Shohei Otani columns, and then when he came out and the Twins were not on his list of finalists, then okay. Then that conversation is passed. But until then, you should be exhausting every resource talking about Shohei Otani and how to try to get him into a Twins uniform. I think the same now is true of, in my opinion, Bryce Harper and other people's Manny Machado. Maybe a little further down that list would be Patrick Corbin. But I love that it's not just this like open and shut case of, well, Minnesota, so not going to happen. No, no, no. Now there are tons of resources available. Now this team needs probably that superstar identity, maybe more than at any point over the last decade. And it's I, I just think that those two things are lining up, that it's at least fun and realistic to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, it's in that sense, it's, can, it's a good time to be a Twins fan, and it's going to be a really interesting offseason. And I think these guys, Falvey and Levine, are, are – you know, the smartest guys in the room most of the time, right? And, and I think they obviously realize that, that they're entering a, win, a, a winning window, so to speak, and, and this is the time to add a legitimate superstar, and, and hopefully they have ownership support. I think they, they probably do. Um, but, uh, yeah, we should be talking about these guys, and, and it would be a disappointment to me if they didn't land, you know, maybe not Machado or Harper, maybe, maybe that's um, unlikely, but if they didn't land at least a, a a major, you know, sort of top 10 free agent, I think that would be a disappointment. I think that should be the goal. Michael Brantley would be on that list if Mm -hmm. you're going outfielders. This all hinges on what you think of Max Kepler and Byron Buxton, maybe to a lesser extent Buxton, because I think Buxton's your opening day center fielder. It would be shocking to me if he wasn't. And Eddie Rosario showed you. He's out of options, right? So he pretty much has to be. Yeah, I mean, you know, some people are saying trade him. I think you're so far off of that that, you know, this is not the time to trade Sano or Buxton. So now you're talking about an outfield with Bryce Harper, Byron Buxton, Eddie Rosario. What do you do with Max Kepler? Figure it out. Um, What do you do with Jake Cave? Figure it out. I think that uh, if you can add a bona fide superstar and lighten the pressure of like, yeah, Buck, this is still your team, but you don't have to be the guy. You know, you don't have to be Mike Trout. Just be Byron Buxton. Do it this year from, you know, March 28th through the end of October, and we'll be happy with it. I think that's what you have to say to him as the Twins, and putting your money where your mouth is would would go a long way, I think, in alleviating some of that pressure. Um, Before we get too far off on talking about some of these huge name free agents that maybe won't happen. Um, are there other guys, Jake, for you that you're like, this makes too much sense. Like Ed- Eduardo Escobar was on everyone's short list of like, this makes a ton of sense to reunite with him until he signed a three-year deal with Arizona. Uh, are there guys that are on your short list of like, I haven't, maybe you have seen him talked about, maybe you haven't, but who the twins should be going after. Cause the fit makes too much sense. I mean, he's not a free agent, but I think Real Muto uh, sure. in Miami is the guy for me. Uh, they they need a catcher, and it's it's just such a critical position. And who knows what they're going to get out of Jason Castro? I, I, I mean, it, it'd be nice if if he caught you know 120 games next year and and produced reasonably well at the plate. But uh, I just I would give up a lot for Real Muto. Um, he he is a superstar. He's from what I've read, a good defensive catcher and certainly a great offensive catcher. Um, so he's a guy. I know the Marlins' asking price is really high uh, because they held on to him when they traded away pretty much everybody else. But yeah. he has. Does he have three years of team control? Left? I was just looking that up. I don't know if he's into arbitration. I thought he was. I would have said two years off the top of my head, but I'll, I'll check for you. Yeah. So I would give up. I mean, I wouldn't give up Royce Lewis, and I, I probably wouldn't give up Kirilov, but. Outside of those two, I'm willing to, to give the Marlins a pretty significant package that includes, you know, a, a, at least one big league starter and, and, and some pretty high-level prospects for hmm. him. Be- because I think, like I said, I, I do think the Twins are entering this winning window, and, and that's a huge area of need for them. And Mitch Garver, I mean, Mitch Garver had a concussion at the end of the year and didn't yeah. catch, and everybody just kind of forgets about that. Well, he might not catch again. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, Mauer didn't, didn't catch after he got his concussion. And so... Um, then you're looking at at my guy, everybody's guy, Astadio, as a backup catcher. <laughs> and and while I love Williams, and I think he should 
absolutely be on the 40-man roster. I don't know that I want him as my backup catcher. Sure. Right. Um, with, with, with Jason Castro, question mark, as a starter. You talk I, about... Go ahead. You talk about alleviating pressure on Byron Buxton as sort of face of franchise superstar player. Lucky the Twins stumbled into this Williams ass to deal. Right. I, uh, I I can't wait for all the marketing campaigns with Williams, and you know he's he's going to look great up there when he's accepting his 2019 MVP uh, <laughs> trophy. And um, so yeah, he's 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 the face of the franchise now that Maurer's gone, without question. This one's but, for all the chubby people in the audience. <laughs> that would be his acceptance speech. I'm I'm quite sure of it. Right. Um, um, I just looked up Real Muto. He does have four years plus of big league service, so it would be two years of JT Real Muto getting probably significant arbitration raises, but not the kind of contract he would get on the free agent market, just so you know what you're trading for. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, two years of Real Muto, that, I still give up a lot for that. I, I don't know how you feel, but uh, to me, catcher is, is – not talked about enough in terms of the question marks of this team heading into into 2019. Um, so I mean, and you could go after Wilson Ramos as well. Um, he has his own question marks. He's 31. He's had injuries. Uh, but I'm I'm interested in your take on Grandal, who's um, you know a, a switch hitting catcher with power and and has a lot to offer. But I mean, we all saw what happened in October. And yeah, I don't I was know just how much say. that factors into your thinking. I was going to say, um, what, what, uh, to answer the question, I didn't have to know what happened in October. Why why did he become a shell of his former self? Yeah. If I don't yeah. have that answer, it's a pretty tough thing to want to bet four years on, you know, uh, get a significant contract. Because he probably is the top of the free agent catching market. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, I think him and Ramos. Sure. Uh, Grandel's probably ahead of Ramos, but I think those two. Well, yeah. Ramos, they had their chance at a couple of years ago, and they picked Jason Castro. Now, I will say it was a little different because he was coming off that ACL injury, but if I'm not mistaken, he signed in Tampa that year and came back midway through the season. It's yep. possible that the Twins just deemed that, hey, we need a catcher from day one. We can't we can't allow this to be our plan coming off of an injury. Um, they needed an upgrade defensively, but... Also, I think it'd be fair to say, like, you could have had Ramos in Falvey and Levine's first year, and they passed on that opportunity, and he went and signed a pretty cheap deal in Tampa. Yes, and they could have had Ramos in 2010 and chose Matt Cap. That's, <laughs> that's, that's a separate conversation. Yeah, that's an entire um, another episode of the podcast. And maybe that, yeah. that's one that'll go just straight to DVD. Yes. <laughs> Exactly, um, but yeah, I mean, maybe maybe that does say something about what Falvey and, and Levine think of of Ramos. I mean, I, they clearly, I think they love Castro's pitch framing and all of that, and, and his intellect uh, because Castro's a smart guy, yeah. and I do think that matters, and I think they care about that. Um, so yeah, maybe they don't view Ramos as as above Castro, um, but but I, they need to do something, and and. It'll be interesting to see what they do, but if but if I'm the Twins, I I make a a real legitimate offer to the Marlins for for two years of Real Muto, even if I have to include somebody like Fernando Romero in the deal to to get it done. Okay, I'm looking up the MLB trade rumor story right now, as I'm wont to do, and Yasmani Grandal is their sixth best free agent, top of the catching class. They are predicting, hashtag predicting, that he is going to the Nationals on a four year contract worth sixty four million dollars. Holy smokes! That's a lot. That's a lot for a guy who lost playing time to Austin Barnes uh, in October. <laughs> yeah, you're so. telling me. Um, yeah. Another name that's interesting on this list that we haven't really talked about, by the way, Wilson Ramos is going to the Astros on three years and 36. So says MLB trade rumors. But uh, Josh Donaldson would be an interesting name for this team to pursue as well. Another sort of star player that got a little forgotten about, I feel like, on the national landscape this year. And... Uh, they have him re-signing a one-year sort of value rebuild. Uh, One-year, $20 million to the St. Louis Cardinals, apparently, for the 33-year-old Josh Donaldson. I, I just think the fit could make sense in Minnesota if you don't think Sano's a third baseman. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that would be a great play. And, and he and he's definitely a guy who I think would be willing to take a, a one-year deal because of what happened to him in, in 2018. So, yeah, I mean, if you want to add Don, Donaldson at, at $20 million or or whatever it is, then... Um, and make a push, and if you're out of contention in July, you can trade him. 
Um, that that to me makes a lot of sense. Is is Adrian Beltre probably going to retire? Is that the is that the prevailing sentiment with him? I haven't talked to Adrian recently, Jake. But if I had to <laughs> wager a guess, why are you laughing? I'm just kidding. Uh, if I had to wager a guess, I would say that now makes time for. Beltre to hang up the spikes, but I don't know. I mean, Chase Utley's already retired. We knew that was going to happen. Joe Maurer's already retired. We were pretty sure that was going to happen, but I, I'm i not sure about Adrian Beltre. He's older than Maurer for sure. I think he's around the same age as Chase Utley, if I'm not mistaken, but yeah, 38, yeah, I mean, 39. You're not going to get the on-field production from Beltre, that obviously, that you would with a healthy Donaldson. I just think the value, first of all, he plays third base, so he, you could slot him in there, but, but I mean, the value that he brings in the clubhouse and specifically could bring as a, a babysitter for Sano, essentially, hmm. I think he would be a good fit uh, on a one-year deal, and, and maybe he's a part-time player. Um, but if he's not retiring, and I'm the Twins, and, and Dad Levine has that Texas connection yeah. uh, with him, I, I would consider bringing him in okay. um, uh, on a one-year deal. But but it sounds, from what I've read, I, I think he's probably going to retire, so it's probably a non-issue. Uh, but yeah, Donaldson, Donaldson makes a lot of sense. A guy like Daniel Murphy could make sense because he can play first or second base. Um, DJ LeMayhew is another guy who who could make some sense. So there are a lot of options out there, but but they need to add in the infield. And a lot of the reason that they need to add is because Nick Gordon had a a bad year yeah. um, at AAA, and I just he's obviously not going to be the opening day, you know, shortstop or second baseman, and it's. I think he has to prove it for a few months before sure. he, you know, even gets a call up. Yeah, and I'm a so. Nick Gordon guy. He's young, but he can't be yeah. your opening day plan. Um, I will ask you about one, and then we'll keep going with his trade rumors. Uh, a friend of mine, Louie, asked on Facebook, maybe it was a couple of weeks ago now, would Carlos Santana make sense for the Twins if the Phillies are willing to trade him? And I thought, am I getting something wrong here? I, I literally looked up during the show. I I looked up the contract, and yeah, no, he signed it just last year. Why would the Phillies be looking to move on from that? Uh, I think it was – I could be wrong here, so listeners correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was three years, 60 million, 20 per for Carlos Santana to play for the Phillies. And now one year later, I thought, well, then why would they be moving off that? I get Reese Hoskins, and if that whole logjam situation is just Im- impossible to work with, then maybe you trade a guy who has some value and is seen as somewhat redundant. Um, but then I was like – I guess it would make sense for the Twins as a as a player. I mean, he's a DH slash first baseman. You're going to need both of those, at least one of those. And I just didn't know why Philly would move on. Well, in swoops Ken Rosenthal and says that uh, the Phillies are open to shopping him potentially. This was a report I saw on Twitter. And uh, Lou actually sent it to me to remind me that uh, – he was right and I was wrong. So he dunked on me with the Kermit the Frog Lipton Iced Tea ad. And uh, <laughs> nice. it was it was yep. a great dunking. Um, Gleeman had said something like Aaron Gleeman said on Twitter that it might make sense for the Twins at, at a reduced cost or something if the Phillies eat some salary. And so, yeah, a couple of weeks later, Louis circled back and said, see, I told you so. And I'm just curious about your take on Carlos Santana, former catcher, switch hitter on base machine for the Cleveland Indians. Yeah, so I, I mean, I, if the Phillies ate some money, I, I would be all about it. But I wouldn't want to take. A, I mean, if you're taking on the full, you know, two years, forty million, uh, you're paying him pretty close to what you'd pay Maurer. And, and I'm looking up or what they have been paying Maurer, obviously. And I, I'm looking at his numbers here, and they're they're very Maurer esque. Okay. Um, two twenty nine average, three fifty two on base, four fourteen slugging. It sounds like Joe Maurer. Yeah, and that's in a very hitter friendly park. In, sure. Philadelphia. How about weighted um, on base and weighted runs created? Are you on I don't, baseball uh, I'm, reference? I, I'm on his. I'm on his baseball reference. I Dude, know, I, you're tipping I your hand. It. What? You're What's tipping that? your hand as a B ref guy. I, last time I asked you to look somebody up, you had his baseball reference page open. It's like your so, homepage or something. So when I'm when I'm writing an article, I, I always go to Fangraphs, but my default is still Baseball Reference, and I know it shouldn't be. No, uh, I can. B refs great. Years of it's just years of going to baseball reference. I um, use them for different things, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Like baseball reference, I'll be like, 
boy, it seems like Eddie Rosario hasn't done crap lately, and I'll go look it up, and I'll see when was the last time he had three hits or whatever, and then I'll start the day, the day after that because I like to cheat. I like to right. make numbers tell a story that I already wanted to tell, and I'll start the day after that and stretch like, oh, here's what he's done in his last 200 plate appearances. Turns out he has been really bad. Yeah. Uh, baseball reference is fantastic for doing that and the play index and all that stuff. So I'm not I'm not knocking it. I was just trying to pull your chain. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I, I think Santana and his defense is is probably a, a step below Mauer's, right? So um, I mean, he was a Gold Glove finalist, and Joe Mauer wasn't last year. Yeah, so. well, we all know what kind of BS that was. Um, and <laughs> some other guys won Gold Gloves last year who. Yeah. Without naming any names, I thought uh, it was pretty ridiculous. Yeah. But, um, Just tell us what it rhymes with. It rhymes with Mosier. Oh, oh, oh! I'm sorry. I thought I thought you were talking about a uh, Kansas City Royals first baseman. That never mind. Oh uh, <laughs> no! All right, we can edit. We can edit that out later. Um, <laughs> Will do. Yeah. <laughs> You've got my word. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, Santana would, would be a good fit um, if, if they're willing to eat salary. But I'm certainly not willing to to give him forty million over the next two years based on, on the okay. production that he's put up. And and his, I mean, he's going to be in his age thirty three season here. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, one point seven WAR uh, last year and playing in one hundred and sixty one games. I don't know. He he'd be a good fit, and and he'd be fine. But I'm not. I'm not going to give up the farm for Santana, and I'm not going to pay him $20 million a year. Sure. That's, that's my take. That's... I have a feeling that you have a slightly different take. No, no. I mean, I don't have a big take. It's like I think the Twins are in a spot right now where they can pay in two different resources. They can pay financially, and they can pay in prospects. And if you're going to do that this winter, that's great. If you're just going to pay in money this winter and wait until July to pay in the other currency known as prospects, then – I wouldn't be offended by that either. I just think they're in a good spot to spend in both, and we should expect that they'll do something big. Um, which yeah. actually leads me to my next question, and we got to do rapid fire here because I got a meeting coming up in a couple of minutes, Jake. But um, do you have any rapid fire music to go along with it? <laughs> we got. I'll get my producer on that. Hey, go find some music, would you? Uh, yeah, he'll get right on that. So I, I think right. this is like. This is my problem with where we're at in the Twins hashtag narrative, which is that, hey, here are these great free agents that fit what the Twins would need, but the Twins don't spend any money. So here are these other, like, pretty good players that the big boys don't want. It's like, why is there this separate? I understand the financial realities of baseball. That's not lost on me at all. But um, to just sort of brush aside, like, Manny Machado ever signing in Minnesota is I just think we're relying too much on what the twins were in 1997 and more like we need to adjust our scope to this is 2018 going into the 2019 season. They've got a a loyal ownership backing. They've got two guys who need to make their stamp on a new team and quick probably. And they've got this thing that's sort of been bubbling up to pop in 2019 Two of those pieces are question marks right now in Byron Buxton and Miguel Sano. It makes all the sense in the world to me for the Twins to be very active and big spenders this winter. And I'm reading from this MLB Trade Rumors, which, by the way, this post is invaluable. MLB Trade Rumors, I don't care what anyone says, is an Mm, awesome website. It's awesome. And they have their top 50 free agents with predictions. But my point is... The Twins are always in this Little Sisters of the Poor class of like, yeah, they need to get better, but they're not going to try hard to get better. They're just going to like try to win on a lottery ticket. They're going to try to get the second coming of Shannon Stewart. And it's like, man, that was 15 years ago. Can we maybe adjust our sights a little bit? If they don't get Machado, I'll back down on this, obviously. But MLB Trade Rumors' first twin according to their top 50 free agents, is checking in at number 16, Marwin Gonzalez for four years and 36. I don't have any problem with the fit. I actually think it makes a lot of sense for the Twins, but my point is, like, the Twins have needs, and people view them in this second tier, so, like, yeah, maybe you could win the bidding for Marwin Gonzalez, but that's about it. Okay, but but what, to 
play devil's advocate, what have the Twins done even in the last five years to, to scout that narrative? Right. right. I mean, when have the Twins ever, other than Maurer, signed a big-name free agent? I mean, it, 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 can you name a, a single example? Here's I mean, my point. Think... You're 100% right. Uh, Irvin Santana, Ricky Nolasco, a Phil Hughes extension, which was ill-fated. But, like, the point isn't... Because you're 100% right. They have not dispelled that narrative. My point is we're leaning on a narrative instead of looking at the picture right now and saying, what would the logical thing to do? And I think the logical thing is to spend. I agree the logical thing is to spend, and but the logical thing is also to spend for 10 or 15 other teams who have sure, sure. more money than the, the Twins, right? So like, what, one of the arguments against this narrative is, oh, they, they, made, this, they made this big run at... Um, at, at Darvish, right? Yeah. Well, so did so did the Cubs, right. who have a lot <laughs> right. more money and gave him thirty million more dollars than the Twins could afford. And For so, sure. I'm not saying they're not going to try to spend. I, I just, to me, it's hard to see the Twins outbidding the Phillies and the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Giants uh, when those teams are probably more destination teams and have more money. Like it's, mm. it's just, I, I, I don't know. I. I I hope that I'm wrong about that, and I would love to see the Twins actually sign one of these big-name guys. And the narrative maybe isn't totally deserved, but but I understand why it's there, because until you do something to <laughs> right. disprove it, what else can the narrative be? It's well-earned. It's well-earned. Uh, the defense has no further questions. The defense <laughs> rests, Your Honor. Um, I want to get a yes-no from you on some of these other guys. You interested, and then I've got to say goodbye Marwin yeah. Gonzalez for four years at that, like, whatever, call it $40 million? Yeah, yeah, okay. I'm interested in that. That Absolutely. fits. That'll play. Uh, right very next on that list is Jerry's Familia to the Twins, three years and $33 million. What say you? Yes, absolutely, because they really need to rebuild their bullpen, which is probably another podcast, but uh-huh. yeah, I'm on board. Nelly Cruz, who I think at last check is 65 years old, two years and $30 million. He's actually 38. Uh, I'm less sold on that because I, I think they have a number of those types of guys. Um, you know, Sano, Tyler Austin, none of those produce at the level of Cruz, but I don't know that I want to pay him that much. Yeah, and I think I, I think he's a great player. He's had a fantastic career. You're paying for future production, and in that, I question, could that money be better spent somewhere else? I so. agree, yep. Um, I think, is that the last one? That is the last of their top 50 going to the Twins. So uh, that is, that's I guess that's an off-season, but you wouldn't feel great about that off-season unless it also included some uh, maybe high-profile trades. But I don't know. Just, I, just, just real quick, how yeah. much do you give Corbin? If you're the Twins, what do you offer Corbin? Um, well, I'm curious to see the market, if it's going to bounce back. And for a starting yep. pitcher of his caliber at his age, he'd probably got to be willing to do a five-year contract. Just, I mean, Kershaw got three years, diminished stuff. Zach Granke's got three years left on his deal. Yes, I'd be interested in trading for Zach Granke. Talked about that on previous podcasts. Um, I don't know. What's the market rate for that sort of next-tier ace? Because you'd rather have James Paxton, but if it's... Four years and a hundred million dollars, you'd have to be interested in that if it's Patrick Corbin. If it's if it's the Darvish contract, I, I guess I'm not quite as sure about that. Yeah, I agree. Patrick I Corbin agree. would make the Twins better, though, and the Twins do have he, money to spend. He absolutely would. Yep. So go and, make your team and they better. They need to go after some sort of big name yeah. starting pitcher, whether it's via trade or free agency. Yeah, so. I'll give them a pass after they land Bryce Harper. Then I won't see as much of a need to get an ace starting pitcher. Yes. But uh, yes. that you got to do that before you get that pass. Right. So, Absolutely. Jake, this has been fantastic. The reckless speculation uh, is one of my favorite parts of the off season. So, thank you for joining this episode of Touch 'Em All, and we'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks a lot, Derek.